Proverbs 11. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. The righteous is delivered from trouble, and the wicked walks into it instead. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge the righteous are delivered. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm. But he who hates striking hands in pledge is secure. A gracious woman gets honor, and violent men get riches. A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but he who pursues evil will die. Those of crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. Be assured, an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. The desire of the righteous ends only in good, the expectation of the wicked in wrath. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will be himself watered. The people curse him who hold back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? 
One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. I love this section here of uh, Proverbs 11 when I read it this morning. A person gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. And I've experienced this at, at times in my life as well when, when I'm not concerned about holding on to the things that I have, when I'm not concerned about what tomorrow brings and whether God will provide for me and, and doubting that, that sometimes that's when you have the least. That's when you even lose or suffer want, like it says. But when you give freely, it's a principle that God rewards that and they'll, you're going to tend to grow all the richer. It goes on in verse 25 and says, Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. This is my prayer for my own life and for my family. You know, once you have kids and a family to take care of, and, and uh, you know, you got to make house payments, and you got to take care of your cars and all these kind of things, it's easy to justify and think to yourself, okay, well, I got to first make sure that everything here is good and that I'm saving 5% or 10% or whatever people say you're supposed to save. Um, first, and then if that's all taken care of, then I can try to help some other people out a little bit as long as it's not going to take away from my family. But he says here instead, whoever brings blessing will be enriched. So the act of blessing others will cause you to be enriched and, the, and thinking about them and considering what they might need. And the one who waters will you, you himself be watered. And I myself have experienced this before, that seemingly out of the blue, I've received uh, letters with um, checks in them for me or for my family or for the church saying, thank you, you know, thank you. I saw what you've been doing and I wanted to, to give you this. Or most times it's like opportunities. Here's, here's an opportunity for work. Here's an opportunity for, to start a business. Here's a person who wants to come and help me learn something that would otherwise be you know, expensive, stuff like that. People see, most importantly, God sees when you're living more selflessly when you're living more for other people than only for yourself. And of course, just as a disclaimer, of course you do have to take care of your family. It says in the scriptures that a man who doesn't take care of his family is worse than an unbeliever. So yes, you do that. But you don't have to do that thinking that the whole world is on your shoulders, that God's not going to provide tomorrow for you, and that you got to wait until you're like a multimillionaire or a multibillionaire in order to help people. It's not true. And he, he finishes off by saying, uh, the people curse him who holds back grain. In other words, I'm not sure I might need all this grain to survive in a famine, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. So the one willing to sell it, this kind of reminds me of Joseph in Egypt selling the grain. Um, the blessing is on his head, whereas the one who holds it back in fear, not just thinking that God won't provide. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes upon him him who searches for it. So when you're looking for the good, you receive the good. These are sowing and reaping principles. You're sowing out seeds of good and you get back a harvest of righteousness of good for yourself, even though that wasn't your main initial goal. I watched the 1977 animated Hobbit movie with my family, with my daughters, a few days ago. And, and out of the whole movie, it's a little bit on the edge for them. We've got a six-year-old and a four-year-old and then a, a one-year-old, almost two, who basically doesn't know what's going on, but she can watch. 
And it was, I guess, not surprising, but it stood out to me as we're watching this movie. There's all these characters. The dragon is drawn, you know, real scary. And like I said, this movie's right on the edge of being appropriate for their age. There's the dragon, there's orcs, there's the uh, goblins who are down under the misty mountains there in the, in the, in the uh, Hobbit. But the character which really, really got my daughters scared and afraid out of all of them by a long shot was Gollum. And it was Gollum who, down there underneath the Misty Mountains, uh, Bilbo runs into him, falls down a pit, and ends up down there where, where uh, Gollum lives. And this character really freaked out my girls. And um, so I wanted to make a short post here about Gollum. I looked up uh, on the little Lord of the Rings Wikipedia about Gollum. So Annabelle, if you're listening, this is partially for you. So here's the story of Gollum. Gollum's life began as a hobbit of Stuarkind. That was the type of hobbit that he was. And his name was Smeagol. He lived on the banks of the Anduin River in the later Third Age, according to these stories. And there's some history about where these hobbits came from and stuff, but we don't really care about that. Now, on his birthday, he was with his close relative, like a cousin, Deagle. So Deagle and Smeagol went fishing in the Gladden Fields along the river. What happened was Smeagol's cousin or, or family me member, Deagle, found this gold ring. He had caught a fish on his line and the fish pulled him into the water. And while he was underwater, he, he saw this thing shining and he picked up the ring from the bottom of the river and he brought it up and he showed it and said, look what I found, Smeagol. And it says that Smeagol demanded that he give him that ring as a birthday present because it was his birthday. And what happened was Deagle said no and Smeagol came and, and as the fighting ensued over the ring, he strangled Deagle and killed him, his own family member, because he wouldn't give him the ring. So at, by doing this, Smeagol became the fourth ring bearer after Sauron, the evil one who made the ring, Isildur, the, uh, the king of the men, and uh, Deagle, and then Smeagol became the fourth one to possess that ring. Now he started changing after he had the ring, and he began making a gurgling sound out of his throat, and that's how come his family called him Gollum. It was a sound that he would make, I guess, like a selfish, self-centered, looking at the ring sound where Gollum, like that, and so they called him Gollum. By holding on to this ring, Smeagol became corrupted further by the ring, and he ended up being banished by his hobbit people, and he was forced to wander around, and he eventually found a home in that cave in the Misty Mountains, right below, or way below, I should say, where all the, um, the goblins live in their caves. It says here that the ring's malignant influence, its bad influence, twisted his body and his mind to become this evil being and not even to look like a hobbit anymore, and it prolonged his life way beyond the normal limits of when he would have lived. He called the ring my precious or my birthday present, and he called it his birthday present was a way to justify that he'd killed his family, uh, one of his family in order to take the ring. Gollum lived way longer than the other hobbits. He was over 400 years. He was living on just raw fish on his little raft down there on the lake at the bottom of the, uh, underneath the mountains. And sometimes he would kill goblins when he'd, he'd sneak it over there and become invisible because the ring would turn you invisible. And he'd kill goblins and eat them as well. 
Later on, he as he as he grew into this lifestyle, he couldn't eat normal food. He found hobbit food and elf food to be just disgusting and repulsive, but instead he'd just eat raw fish and he thought that was tasty. So over these centuries, it took a big toll on him mentally and physically. He became grotesque, and by the time he met Bilbo, he was almost totally insane and totally mad. So then Bilbo comes into the picture. Bilbo finds the ring so, to, so seemingly randomly, but as we know in the story, the ring has a sort of will of its own to find the next ring bearer that it wants to have. That's something that Gandalf said. So Gollum threatens Bilbo to kill him, but Bilbo has a sword. So he's able to kind of hold him off. And then Gollum makes an, an idea to do a riddle game, which he eventually loses the riddle game. And he goes, his plan is to kill Bilbo anyway. So he goes to get his ring so he can turn invisible and kill Bilbo. And he discovers that my ring's gone. And then he guesses, wait a minute, Bilbo must have it because his last riddle question was, what have I got in my pocket? So Gollum goes into a rage and he, he, he comes after Bilbo and Bilbo starts running away from him and he accidentally puts the ring on and turns invisible and, and it causes Gollum to run past him because he can't see him. He runs past him all the way to the entrance, which Bilbo didn't know how to get there. So Bilbo gets there to the entrance, again, seemingly random, but as we see in all these stories, there's a purpose for the way things happen. And this is a, one of the great things about uh, Tolkien's writings in the, in the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, that these things seem to be random, but they fit into the bigger story. So eventually, Gollum, in his just absolute, I have to have my precious back, I have to have my ring back, even though he's afraid of the outside world and he's been underground for hundreds of years, he, he gets over that fear and chases after Bilbo Baggins to try to get that, um, that ring back. What happened right after that, and this is in the Lord of the Rings uh, books, is that Sauron, the, the evil... Um, uh, the evil sort of demonic uh, bad guy who's trying to get the ring back. His spies find him, uh, capture him, and when they're interrogating him in, in prison, they find out the name Baggins and Shire, which is where Bilbo's from. And so they send out people to go capture Bilbo to get the ring back. Now, I'm going to skip some of this because it doesn't all fit here, but later on in the story, Frodo... Baggins is receives the ring. That's Bilbo's nephew. So Bilbo no longer has it. And as soon as Bilbo gives up the ring, he starts to age very quickly as well because the ring was giving him a supernaturally long life. So now Frodo has the ring and he begins a quest along with a bunch of other uh, characters to go take the ring and throw it into the volcano where it was originally forged at Mount Doom, which is an impossible thing to do. Uh, but they're relying on um, their wits and on all the the luck they can get. Again, in that story, that luck is not really luck, but it's it's a part of the providence that happens within that story. And Gollum comes into the picture again as a person who knows how to get into this bad area because he was captured there once. So Gollum has this struggle. He has an internal struggle where he's trying to sort of become Smeagol again and trying to trust again. But every time he's offended or or he's having the battle within himself and he loses, 
he will revert back to this completely selfish, murderous golem. He won't be Smeagol anymore. And he, this goes back and forth a number of times as Frodo is really trying to be kind to him and, and brings out that positive Smeagol uh, attitude. And yet... Um, Now, along this journey, the ring is also affecting Frodo, and he's beginning to turn a little bit darker himself, which is one of the reasons why Frodo is so uh, sympathetic to, Sme to Smeagol or to Gollum. And at the very end, skipping a lot of different adventures, uh, Frodo is at the very edge of that volcano, and he's ready to throw the ring in to end this evil reign once and for all. But as he's looking at it, he just, he loves it so much, the power of the ring and the attraction of the ring. And he becomes to where he's not going to throw it in there. He's going to turn around and keep it for himself. And if he did that, then surely he would be captured and the ring would find its way back to the evil Sauron. But what happens is Gollum finds him. And in both of them being so selfish, they're wrestling over that ring. And Gollum actually bites it off of, bites off Frodo's finger with the ring on it and then falls off into the volcano where he dies and the ring is also destroyed as well and he's crying out precious now if that never would have happened then all hope would have been lost because Sauron would have got the ring and become very powerful so a couple of things we can learn from within each of us we have the potential whether we're in that dark place we've been molded by by selfishness and and focus on um, idols and things that we hold up like the ring as being the most important things to where we abandon everything else our families our responsibilities our god especially um, if you're there you still have this part of you like Gollum did which desires to be brought back into the light which desires to be innocent again and we know through God's plan that that was accomplished through Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. And then after that, the coming of the Holy Spirit that was promised. But also within each one of us where we think that we stand as good citizens and as responsible and as good family people or whatever, we, whatever we're doing that we can be proud of, we have the potential, says in the scripture, be careful when you stand lest you fall. We have the potential for a great fall in which we can become this disfigured, insane creature just like Gollum was. And we know that. We know that warning. And to some extent, Frodo, when he spared Gollum all these different times, did that out of sympathy because to some extent or another, he saw that I could become like this too if I don't keep myself in check. Not only Frodo, but, but even uh, Bilbo in the first encounter Bilbo has with him has the chance to kill him if he wanted to. He has the sword and he's invisible and he chooses to run past Gollum and escape instead of killing him. And it was sympathy which stayed his hand, uh, Gandalf says, and caused him not to kill Gollum. So there's a lesson here too that in the end, this quest for the ring and only the ring on his mind, this idol, this, this idol that is uh, Gollum's idol, um, causes him to eventually be destroyed himself with his precious and he falls into Mount Doom and dies in that volcano. And that the same thing can happen to us. Whatever we hold up as the greatest and highest thing above God can become our idol, which will eventually destroy us.
So be careful when you begin with something as simple as, hey, will you give me that ring? It's my birthday today after all, because you don't know where that small sin might lead if, you, if it goes unchecked. God bless you, and I hope you enjoyed the uh, uh, information here on Smeagol turned Gollum's life. And Annabelle, love you, and have a great day.